0: Good morning. Good morning. So all three services are coming together. So are you guys okay? Someone might be in your seat. Are we okay? I haven't seen any fists flying. I may have seen a couple dirty eyes, but that means you can get here in time. Well, happy new year. I'll it again. Happy new year. All right. So you came to church on New Year's Day. So you obviously are going to be more blessed this year. Just kidding, but we're going to get to that. Some of you might actually believe that. We're going to get to that today. But I uh, question, maybe raise your hand if you are one to make New Year's resolutions. Why did you laugh, Martin? I was to... <laughs> it's, you said it was to go to the gym. You said it right there. There it was. Um, but so I did a little research on New Year's resolutions. I'm not really into them, making them. I was talking to Abby, um, who you just saw on the, on the screen there. And I asked her, are you making New Year's, any New Year's resolutions? She says, no, I make New Year's intentions. So I was like, huh, that's very uh, interesting. I said, well, what is it? She said to read more. I said, so I don't think she's here. It's Okay. She said hold her accountable to that. So all of us should buy her our favorite book and put it on her desk. Last office in the, in the over there. So that would be great, we should do that. And she could get through like all 300 of them in the year. Um, but I was doing some research and actually like less than half of people actually make New Year's resolutions. Mind you, I got this all from the internet so it's totally reliable. And, uh, and then the people that do make them, like very small amount actually make it past like two or three months of doing it. And guess what the top one is? Lose weight or get healthy. So that's either eat healthier, Or go to the gym. You could do both and it would actually work out really well. And the other one is to save more money, which is okay, that's great. Um, And then, millennials, my generation, we are the most optimistic. We think we'll actually keep them because we're perfect, beautiful unicorns. We just do everything wonderfully. So, um, but as I was looking through all that, I, I don't think New Year's resolutions are bad. I'm all for setting goals and 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 trying to better yourself that's okay and and this time of year also people might you maybe you're one of them you're making spiritual new year's resolutions we just invite you to a new bible study i know a lot of people starting january 1 they make the goal to read through the entire bible in a year or to start praying with some intentionality or to come to church more often right and those in themselves aren't all bad things but even when it comes to setting intentions or New Year's resolutions when it comes to our faith, most of the time, come a few weeks, maybe a couple months, and if you're reading through the Bible, you hit numbers, and you're just like, oh, this isn't so exciting, or that prayer routine comes an afterthought, or coming to church is actually just going to the fields for your kids' sporting events on Sunday. And then... Most of us end up feeling guilty or shameful and feel like we've let God down or we've let the church down or ourselves down and we feel like our spiritual formation, our spiritual maturity is going to be stunted. Everyone, anyone ever feel like that before? Ever? Yeah? You, you are the honest one because I do too. So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 1 and you can see right there, I'm laying my cards on the table. I'm calling it the anti-resolution. I'm going to tell you, here's summarizing the whole sermon. I think the key to the most spiritual growth, the fruit bearing, these are all kind of Christian terms we'll unpack, is actually stop doing so much religious stuff. Stop doing so much religious activity, and we're going to unpack what that looks like. Now there's, there, I'm going to read Psalm 1 again, I know mean, we just heard it, but I want it to be fresh in our, in our brains. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Happy New Year. One very popular way of interpreting this psalm is that this is a promise. And what I mean by that is more it's this performative promise that there's two characters in this psalm, the blessed and the wicked. And we obviously want to be on the side of the blessed man, right? So how do we kind of achieve that? By meditating on the scriptures day and night. Cool, so start your year Bible plan. You can use the little app on Uversion and post pictures on your Facebook to show how spiritual you are for the first three days that you keep it. And then, right, I'm kind of poking fun at it. And if you do it, Obviously, this promise is everything you do, you will prosper. So you're going to get a bigger house this year, your abs are going to get tighter, and you're going to have an amazing vacation if you read your Bible, right? Yeah, amen, I'm all for that, right? But, But we all know this isn't really how life works out, because we've seen good Christian people, maybe you've been faithful your whole life, and yet the diagnosis has still come, or you... You still don't have the six-pack abs, and you don't get the Disney vacation this year, right? So if we see it, we read it as promise. If I do this, therefore God promises to do that, the math doesn't really work out. Another popular way of reading this is biblical wisdom. Maybe you're not naive enough to think that if you do read your Bible or be faithful, then everything's going to work out, but... If you do these things, things tend to work out better for you. Not all the time, but if I live my life with the accordance of God's word, life will tend to go, a good, or go better for me. And, and even that, if you're really honest, you still know that's not totally true. Look, read the scriptures. Job, he was righteous in the sight of, of Yahweh, yet he was afflicted and suffered the evil of this world. And again, we all know the faithful Christians who still get cancer, who still die young, who still lose their jobs, whose marriages still end. So what do we do with it? Reading the, this psalm as either promise or as purely biblical wisdom, we're actually making the scriptures do what they aren't designed to do. We're reading them as a handbook of how to live life. Now, is, are there promises in scripture? Yes. Is there biblical wisdom? Yes, but when we primarily view, especially this psalm, that way, we are putting all the emphasis on what we do. That our blessing or our curse depends on our actions and what we do. And reading it this way kind of can lead us down two unhealthy paths. The first is we can see the people around us whose lives on the outside seem to be falling apart. Like, they're obviously of the wicked and they're like chaff. Not sure what that means, but... And we start judging them because they obviously haven't lived up to the way God designed them to live. Or the other way is, if you live your life thinking God owes you something, when your life doesn't turn out how you think it should, then it's God's fault. And you start questioning, is God really good? Is God really who He says He is? And this morning, I want to propose a third way of reading this psalm. And the third way is not Primarily promise, it's not primarily biblical wisdom, but it's actually an anti-New Year's resolution. Because the first two ways is kind of pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, the American dream, set a resolution, do it, carry it out, it's all about what you can do. But there's a third way. And to, to understand how to read this psalm through this interpretive lens, which I think is the more biblically sound, faithful way of reading it, we have to completely change how we even read this psalm. Psalm or Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. The psalmist begins with what the blessed person is not doing. On their inactivity... On what they are refusing to do. Not go do this, but actually what they're abstaining from. And then he goes on to say, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, the interesting thing here, and this is kind of this is pretty important for us to understand. The word in the Hebrew here for delight, it's not a verb. It's not something you do. It's a noun. It's actually a state of being. It's something that you get to experience. Because how I used to read this passage because of just the world we live in was his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night and he does what the law says. That's how I typically interpret it. And does what it says. And there's actually a couple translations that that it adds that, but that's not in the text. It's not there, because delight is actually a noun, not a verb. And delight is just to, to experience pure joy at its deepest level. Delight is just experiencing its deepest, uh, just joy in its purest level. And it's, again, because it's now, noun, it's not anything that we can do. One uh, Old Testament scholar, he, he, he defines it this way. Delighting in Torah, so that's the scriptures, the, the law, the, the commandments, the instruction of the Lord, the Lord. Delighting in Torah is not something we can that we rationally choose to do, even if we want to. Just like we can't choose to like broccoli or force ourselves to fall in love. Delight cannot be imposed upon someone, nor can we conjure it up in ourselves. You either get it, or you do not. You are either captivated by the object of your delight, in this case, according to the psalmist, the Torah, the Lord's instruction, or you, are, or you are not. Delight is more like a gift than an achievement, Think about a time in your life where you just experienced pure delight. Maybe when you fell in love with your spouse or maybe the most amazing meal you ever had or it was a beautiful sunset. It's something that you passively received. It's something that happened to you that you didn't control. That's what this psalmist is getting at. So you may be asking yourself, okay, how do we attain? How do we experience? How do we sit in this state of delight that the psalmist is talking about? And he says he is like a tree planted or he says by, uh, by meditating on the scriptures day and night. So he almost seems to be contradicting himself. Okay, you, it, delight isn't something you can conjure up, but what do we do with this meditating thing? The next part of The next part of the, the psalm helps us understand. The psalmist uses this simile to help us understand kind of what is going on here. He says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The word planted has this passive again, this passive meaning. A tree is not like, I'm going to plant myself right here, right? No, a tree is passively, by a farmer or a gardener that is good and faithful and knows what the tree needs, decides where it is planted, in this case by streams of water, and then after in its season of just just soaking in the water up the roots where it's been passively planted, begins to bear its fruit, In all that he does. See, that's why I'm calling this psalm the Anti New Year's Resolution. Because this psalm actually isn't about what you and I do to grow, to mature in the faith. This is actually all about what God does in us to grow us and mature us. Or in, in this language, to bear fruit, to prosper in all that we do. Jesus actually echoes this in John 15 from our gospel reading. In John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, and I in him. He it is that bears what? Much fruit. From apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And you're like... But pastor, like, I can do a lot without the Lord. He's not talking about your daily activities. He's talking about bearing uh, spiritual fruit, bearing spiritual fruit. Apart from him, he can't do anything. Then he says, uh, uh, when you, oh, no, we're not there yet. Uh, You can do nothing. Jesus is echoing this theme that is being played out in Psalm 1. And it's interesting because Jesus would have known the Psalms inside and out. These are psalms he would have been praying his entire life. Paul goes on to use this language in Galatians 5 of spiritual fruit. If you were around here this past summer, we did a whole series on, on the fruit of the Spirit, and every single week we made the point it's actually not that you can produce the fruit. All you can do is create an environment, and then God begins to bear the fruit in you. The only thing you can do is abide or remain in christ and the fruit begins to grow in its proper season in john chapter 6 jesus is uh, speaking to the crowds and the crowds are following him because he had just miraculously fed them and he, they're following him and they're actually jesus is like you're not following me because of the miracle you're just following because i give you a free lunch Right? I used to do college ministry. Get free food. They will show up. They don't care what. Just give them free food and they will come. Right? It's the oldest, oldest ministry trick. We have free food afterwards if you want to at the, at the brunch. Um, but that's why you're here. And then, but then Jesus says to him, don't pay, don't work for food that's going to perish, but, but food that will never perish. Eternal peri- eternal food. And, and then, uh, they say, what then, They said to him, what must we do to be doing the good works of God? It's funny. Their first inclination is, what do I need to do to get this food? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Notice he says, this is the work of who? God. This is the work of God. Jesus didn't say, you need to go do this or that, he says, it's actually the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. See, Jesus is kind of underscoring this theme that goes throughout the scriptures that we actually don't choose to follow Jesus. That we can, left to our own will, reject him. We can say no, but it is a free gift that we passively receive we just witnessed with Thomas right here, this gift given to him. That he's going to grow up in the faith. And mom and dad, it's your responsibility to keep him planted by that streams of water. And Bethany, it's our responsibility to make sure their family stays planted by streams of water. But Thomas didn't do anything in that moment besides look really cute and dapper in his little suit. God came to him through water and word. And this is the theme that Jesus is playing off of. This is the theme that Psalm uh, 1 is playing off of. And really, it's very counterintuitive to our American pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps, New Year's resolution, best you, best life now. It's about nothing that you do. You can't bear fruit by your own ability. Now, this all sounds very esoteric and up in the sky. What does this actually look like in the day-to-day life of the average follower of Jesus? First, I really believe it starts with repentance. Repentance, a way to understand repentance, is is changing our mind. Changing the way we think. Because you might actually be here this morning thinking you're going to be blessed because you came to church on New Year's Day. Like, and I'm sure all of us a little bit sense, even if we, like, don't think it, it's there a little bit. Like, I come to church every week because it's the right thing to do, right? I'm going read my Bible every day because it's the right thing to do. Now, am I saying don't come to church, <laughs> don't read your Bible, don't you dare pray? No, what I'm saying, those are good and beautiful things, but maybe you need to repent and change why you do those things. Are you doing them to please God? Are you doing them to please the people around you? Are you doing it to make yourself look more religious? Are you doing it because God is inviting you to bear fruit? God is inviting you to abide in Him. Repent. Change how you think about these spiritual disciplines. And the second, like I just want this to be very um, on the ground for you guys. And, and for me, I've been... For like on this journey for like the last five years of how to actually abide in Jesus, what does that look like? And I've shared this before. I went through the whole, uh, Lutheran college and seminary and like learned a lot about the Bible, but no one ever taught me how to abide in Jesus. Shocker. And I've been doing a lot of reading over the last five years from across all the Christian denominations and traditions and from the early church to modern day. And the one thing that every single person points back to across space and time for the last 2,000 years is sitting quietly with God in the morning. Sitting and simply being still before him. And part of me wants to be like, but it could be this or it could be that. And every single writer I've read is like, that's where the money is at. Sitting before the Lord, abiding with him in silence. This doesn't include reading your Bible. This doesn't, invite, in, in, uh, this doesn't mean having a conversation, just sitting in silence. So I started doing it several years ago. And I'd like to tell you every morning I sit there and I just bear fruit and the Holy Spirit comes over me. I'm in tears, just, ah, and most of the time I'm sitting there going, this is a waste of time. I have to get to the office. My kid's about to wake up. Oh, yeah, breathe. Oh, I got to pay this bill. I want to do this later. Oh, come back to Jesus. And, 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 and most of the time, I feel like a complete failure. And even standing before you, I'm like, I don't want to share this story because, one, it might sound like I'm trying to boast, and, two, it might just sound like I'm wasting my time. But as I've reflected over the last several years in this practice, I have gotten a little bit farther than I was four or five years ago. And I think the people closest to me would be able to say, yeah, you've grown a little bit in patience and love. And, oh, you've, you've fallen maybe in whatever, some other one. Not perfect. But I have seen the Spirit grow the fruit in me despite my type A, narcissistic, it's all about me personality. In spite of me, God is still growing fruit. As I've walked this journey with other believers, I've seen fruit grow in them also. And I share that with you to kind of give you just, just an invitation to try that this year. To just say no to the self-help, to say no to the pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstrap spirituality. Sure, go to the gym, save some money. Those are all fine and good things. But what if the greatest invitation from God to our church this year is just be in his presence, to sit with him daily, to enjoy, to delight in who he is and what Christ has done for you and for me. And when done daily over, over decades, we might all be able to look around and be like, hey, you look a little bit more like Jesus. Jim, you look a lot more like Jesus than Pastor Danner. Danny, you look a lot more like Jesus than me most of the time. (laughs) He's going, (laughs) I joke and laugh about it, but really, what if that's the greatest invitation we have going to 2023? Stop trying to be so religious. Stop trying to be so spiritual and pious and just bring yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. I delight in you. Thank you. Everything is grace. So before we come to the table, I, I invite you, if you're comfortable, just and if you're at home, do this with us. Just close your eyes and go ahead and just place your palms up in front of you, on your lap. Take a couple breaths in and out. And our palms are up just to signify this posture of receiving. And God, we, we thank you for the scriptures. Lord, I thank you for the saints who have gone before us that have read these scriptures and lived them and meditated on them and passed on through the power of the Spirit of what these these odd poems from thousands of years ago actually mean. Lord, we surrender to you, our American pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstrap spirituality. And with our palms open and deep, slow breaths, We release it to you as we sit in your presence and ask that you come and bear fruit in us. Fruit that the world can see that we are a different people called to a different way of life. And that our very being in your presence is an invitation to those in our life who don't yet follow you. So Lord, may you speak to us individually over the course of this next week, how we can abide with you and speak to us as a church, Holy Spirit, congregationally, how can we as a church in 2023, moving forward, abide in you, in your goodness and your faithfulness. So Lord, I thank you for each of my brothers and sisters in this room and online with us and pray that 2023 is less doing and more, more being in your presence. May you open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your presence in our lives. And it's all in the beautiful name of Jesus we ask this. Amen.